Now, here's Todd. All right, welcome to the uh, program. Going to spend the uh, first half of the show today doing something we do every year about this time of year, and that uh, is introduce uh, the Radio Land to some new doctors that are in town, or soon to be doctors. They're in their last bit of their residency, uh, and they uh, are doing it here in a rural residency program uh, that has been uh, rolling along now for a number of years uh, through the North Olympic Healthcare Network, or known as we know it. Uh, Rob Epstein is uh, back with us again. Rob, it's great to see you again. My once a year visit with you uh, here in the studio. Yeah, (laughs) and Rob, you've been involved with it actually kind of twofold. We should point out that uh, Rob kind of actually did something similar to this back in the day, so he's a bit familiar with rural residency programs, and also was pretty uh, instrumental in getting this rolling here for the North Olympic Peninsula. So, with that said, let's talk about this this program and how many years now have have you been doing it? This will actually be our um, sixth class. There you go. And um, so that's starting. So we've just graduated our fourth class. And, um, and then these, um, what we do is they, our residents spend their first year in Seattle, and then they come out and they spend their second and third years of their residency uh, out here in Port Angeles. Uh, and it's a it's g- good in two ways. I mean, this really does establish there is a need to get people exposed, I think, to what rural medicine is. Uh, there's that for the education purposes, and we'll get to talk to these guys about uh, about that. But also, it's good for our community because this does help out uh, clinically. Yeah. So, it? so you know, the the reality is is that about. If you look at uh, these rural residencies, about half the people that do them will end up practicing around where they train, and about two-thirds will actually work in rural areas. And so we've graduated six residents, uh, two are here in Port Angeles, and um, three others, uh, no, actually two others are in rural areas. Uh, One's going to rural Arizona, one's in Alaska, and then the other two are both working in federally qualified health center type of situations okay. in, in Seattle. So, I mean, that's the, this idea of um, if you train in an environment like this, that you'll work in an environment like this is actually what carries through. Tell us a bit how that program got started here, because uh, you well, were kind of there at the first. Yeah, so, so it was an idea that, um, that Mike Maxwell and I had a long time ago. It was actually kind of when we were starting Known. And um, we've always we've worked with the University of Washington School of Medicine for uh, since the you know like two thousand five or so and and um, and we we just saw that we, that having a residency out here in Port Angeles that we could support it and so we we garnered a lot of help from the university and, as well as Swedish and um, and proposed the idea and it it happened kind of at the same time as we became a federally qualified health center. And what's happening across the country right now is there's, there is this real increase in graduate medical education in federally qualified health centers like known. And um, we were just kind of in the first wave of that. All right. Uh, these, they're doctors. I mean, they, they get to do what doctors do while they're out here. <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are doctors, yes. Yeah. They've all graduated from med school. They've all finished their, their first year of residency. Residency in the state of Washington for family medicine is three years. Um, they, they work with the other doctors, not just at known, but also at OMC. Right. And so they still have to be supervised per se, but they actually work very independently. And what's what's really interesting is that they're they're working in an environment where they actually see themselves um, 
practicing eventually. So it's, again, it's kind of a lot of on-the-job training. Um, Our residency is really... um, uh, has a lot of emphasis in family medicine, so we do a lot of OB and pediatrics as well as adult. We do a lot of addiction services, and in the hospital, we do a fair number of procedures too. Before we get to uh, the latest round of uh, residents uh, here, tell us a bit about how they arrive here, uh, the, the the screening process, how that all works. Uh, because well, there's there's the, a pool of candidates. oh yeah, there's yeah. It's, it's the infamous match. Um, so the <laughs> so everybody in the United States that goes to medical school, I mean medical school, you finish and then you have to do a residency to get your license, and um, you'll pick a specialty and you go through a match process where. Um, you are interviewed by different programs and you rank your favorite program and the program ranks our applicants and then it goes into a computer and um, we've traditionally done very well in the match. We've gotten, um, we've gotten excellent residents. Um, um, but, I mean, you got to keep in mind that there's a tremendous number of people. Like we, on average, get about 500 applicants for our three spots. Mm-hmm. We interview about 40 um, and this is uh, this is and the here's the three coming this time. <laughs> so that's that has been our our traditional way. So if people kind of figure this out. Uh, you've got six then that are all uh, at at any given time residents in Port Angeles. In yeah, we, we right. went from we we're at two per year and we've recently gone to three per year. So this is actually our first class of three. Okay, and then from now on there will be three a year. So I have to ask, how has the the COVID pandemic did it affect things much over the last couple of years? Yeah, it has affected a lot of things. Yeah. So uh, it's made it really difficult for our residents to do any kind of away rotations so they've they've which isn't terrible they've been here but you know we've also taken care of a lot of covid patients mm-hmm. in the hospital and sometimes we all get covid so we've it's at this point um several of us have had covid yeah. in uh, both you know when and what's interesting about that is is that luckily none of us have become very ill but it takes you out of the yeah, workflow. It's a 10-day out usually in most yeah. cases, right? Well, at least yeah. five. And, yeah. and then if you can get your test to be negative, you can come back a little early. But, yeah, it's 10 days, which is actually a really big deal. I, yeah. I, I got COVID about a month ago, and it was very frustrating to feel okay yeah. and not Join be able to come back to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the same <laughs> feeling. It was like, yeah. okay, here we go. All right. Uh, so you've brought down uh, our, our three lovely uh, doctors that are in town now, uh, and two of them have been here since late May. One has uh, just arrived a couple of weeks ago. I'll ask this question to all of them, though. Bet none of them were in the interview told that they're going to come on the radio <laughs> when nope. they first arrived. <laughs> I tell Rob answers that question every year, and I'm, I'm waiting for one year where he says, "Yeah, we tell him." I think he's fe- fearful they'll say no. No. <laughs> anyway, our three are here, and uh, I'll just kind of introduce you as we go. Let's uh, we'll go to Abby first. Abby, and is it Ah Young? Did I get it right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell us a bit about you, where you're from, uh, kind of where how how you ended up here, what uh, what you know made this your match. So I'm actually originally from a small town in Southeast Alaska called Ketchikan. So if you've been on a cruise, you've been to my town. (laughs) Um, And so growing up on an island, obviously we don't have a lot of, you know, access to care. And that was a situation for a lot of, you know, my community and my family. And so that really pushed me into wanting to do something like that. And so I could go back to communities like my own to serve. So pretty similar to what Rob said, you know, Mm -hmm. the people who train in rural communities tend to stay in rural communities, whether it's here in Port Angeles or elsewhere in the United States or even globally. Um, And so that was my interest. Um, I went to medical school in Tucson, Arizona, and I also did the rural training uh, track program there. 
So all my rotations during third year were all in rural Arizona, which was really fun. Um, kind of gives me a little glimpse of what I was, you know, what to expect. Um, yeah, and then when I found about this program, you know, being back in the Pacific Northwest, the fact that you get to do full spectrum family medicine, which is, um, you know, still pretty special. Um, in a lot of big cities, you don't find a lot of family medicine docs doing OB. And so it's nice that we get that training. So if we choose to do it after we finish residency, that's something we get to do. Um, so that was a big appeal. And then obviously the fact that you get to train and learn how to practice in a rural community, rural setting, um, and get to do a lot is really attracted me to the program. And PA reminds me of home too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think yeah. probably similar. I, I should have yeah. said, Rob, do you ever just put a picture up about where you'd be coming if you had that? Could be a sale point for the match as well. Uh, always wanted to be a doctor. Has that been kind of a dream job or, you know, looking back into your life? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so, my family, we're Filipino, and growing up, there weren't really many doctors who looked like me. Um, and so, that was kind of an appeal, but my grandmother was sick a lot. And so she was in and out of the emergency department. Like small communities, we had to have her medevac down to Bellingham or to Seattle for a lot of emergent care. And so seeing that aspect on the other side of things really motivated me to become a doctor. All right. Well, welcome to the community. Thanks. We'll uh, get back. We'll ask some more questions as we go. We'll uh, move along now. Uh, Michaela Fallon, right? Got it right? Yeah, just yes. like Jimmy, the guy on right, TV. Exactly. Right? So, tell, so us, I tell people how to spell it. <laughs> tell, us the, tell us your story a bit about uh, how you you know came to be where you're at and where, you know, how you got to Port Angeles. Yeah, so I am originally from Seattle, Washington, so I grew up knowing the Olympic Peninsula pretty well. <laughs> Um, but kind of garnered an interest in rural medicine back before medical school and then was lucky enough to be part of the first class at Washington State University's medical school uh, and spent a lot of my time in the Tri-Cities and the surrounding communities um, and just fell in love with the opportunities available to rural doctors, especially rural family med doctors in Washington, and how deeply integrated into their communities they were. It wasn't a separation between you're in clinic and then you are a nobody. You're in clinic and then you see your patients around. You're at the Little League softball games. You run into them at the grocery store. And it you have the opportunity to really change your patients' lives on a macro level that you just don't get in the city. And I just, every time I came away from those experiences, I was just falling farther and farther in love with rural communities. Um, and then I was lucky enough in my fourth year of medical school to actually spend a month out here. And granted, this was in the middle of the peak of COVID. Everything was closed. Like, I would go to the hospital with a mask on and then go back to the the housing they very kindly gave me. And even just those minimal experiences, I was like, I... This is a wonderful community. This yeah. is a wonderful place, and I want to be here. And so Rob was nice enough to say, okay, you can be here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a, a little bit, because those who don't know about the WSU um, med program, it mm -hmm. really is geared to try to train people up to do just what you're doing. It's kind yeah. of what differentiates it from what's at the University of Washington, for example. It's to try to get more uh, people like you out into smaller communities. Yeah, it's um, they create a lot of really fantastic relationships with rural communities yeah. around the state. And even in just my first class, there's a few of us that went to rural family medicine programs. And that seems to be, from what I've seen from the cl classes after us, a pattern. And even if the people do not necessarily go to a residency in a rural place, 
Um, it emphasizes coming back to Washington and primary care, whether it's primary pediatrics, family medicine. Some people include general surgery or OB in that spectrum, but just serving Washington and it, the people who live here and whatever they look like, whoever they are. Um, so I think it's doing its job. All right. Welcome. Oh, I guess I should. Yeah, absolutely. I'm an, I'm an old coog too. So that's it. You, you, you're warming my heart. There. <laughs> Not a medical student, though. Okay. So there you go. Um, but uh, welcome back, I guess I should say, since uh, now you're you. back in, a, in a, another iteration as well. Next to uh, next to you is uh, Lisa Scarling. And Lisa, you're the newest one here because you just arrived a couple of weeks ago, it sounds like. Yes, yes. So tell us a bit about, same question, kind of where you came from and you know how, how your path has gone. Yeah, um, well, I'm from Minnesota. I grew up about an hour north of Minneapolis and um, medicine is my second career. I was a music therapist before medical school and worked primarily in hospice. So I would go into people's homes and my case load was uh, really spread out between uh, rural Minnesota and then into the city and um, really seeing people at the the, the end stages of of different conditions that they were in. And um, I found myself no, just being in their homes and and hearing their stories, really wishing that uh, many of my patients had uh, better access to primary care and noticing the difference that it made when a patient had a really strong connection with their primary care doctor, just in um, their quality of life and um, and the quality of their family's life. And so, I knew um, going into medical school that I wanted to go into rural medicine, and. Um, as far as what brought me to here, I had right. never been here before. Okay. <laughs> I'd never been to the Olympic Peninsula, but um, this uh, this program is really special, and um, there's there's so many strengths in the full spectrum um, of family medicine within this program. There's a lot of uh, OB, and there's a lot of uh, training in addiction medicine, and we get outpatient medicine and inpatient hospital medicine. It's really across the board. And um, that really drew me to this program. And then I also <laughs> knew that I was going to be having a baby and wanted to be <laughs> near family. Um, so that the family, my own family, also drew me to this area. But um, we've been here for a couple of weeks and we love it. Well, welcome. Thank you. Uh, maybe this is a loaded question since you've just sure. had a baby. But yeah. I can ask each of you, what do you do when you're not doing medicine? Uh, what, what are your hobbies? <laughs> um, well, I, I do love um, hanging out with my six-month-old uh-huh. son, and there's so much to do around here. We just uh, just we just have been um, exploring the uh, Peabody Creek. Is that yep. the right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trail? And um, we just went to the library for the first time last weekend. You have an amazing library here. Um, so we're just really exploring the just exploring the Very town. Very good. All right, uh, Michaela, what, what about you when you're not uh, running around hospitals and clinics? What do you do? What do you like to do? Um, <laughs> I play Ultimate Frisbee pretty consistently. And so there's a pickup <laughs> group in Squim. So shout out to the pickup group in Squim. Um, and then I uh, also love to hike and to backpack. So actually, one of the things that I love about this area is that on Monday, I went and hiked up to Lake Angeles and jumped in the lake and then came back down and participated in our um, afternoon teaching that we had that day. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's 
not a lot of places that you can. You could probably call your classmates up and yeah. say, you know, do, do you get to do that? Yeah, I was like, oh, I just went for a little swim today. What did you do? Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also, uh, Abby, what about you? What is what? What do you do when you're not? Uh, doing all of this yeah so i also like the outdoors mikhail and i have actually gone hiking together to some places when we have a free morning so a few weeks ago we went to striped peak um, which was pretty cool Mm -hmm. um didn't go down to the coast but that's a goal for next time um and then i actually have checked out the um, aquatic center here which is really cool i used to swim competitively so it's nice to get back in the water um yeah all right. Uh, you guys are getting ready to get really busy, probably. Uh, I'm sure in the next couple of years, we'll just zing right on by as, uh, as you go as well. But uh, hopefully we'll see you all out and about in the community. Welcome to Port Angeles and Squim. And, and actually, like Rob said, and we'll go back to him in just a sec, uh, you guys will probably get a better chance than maybe the previous class to get out and do some of the uh, outreach stuff that kind of got shuttered because of the COVID stuff. So it's great. Thanks for spending some time and coming down and uh, letting us uh, hear about these new uh, new doctors in town. So, uh, Rob, that said, let's, you know, what happens with the, after we let them go from the radio studio, for example? What, what's next for these guys? These guys actually, um, for the rest of this, for the next few weeks, are doing what we call community medicine, which is a rotation that we put together kind of introducing them to the community. Um, So they are going around spending time with, um, you know, first steps and um, uh, they'll spend some, they'll actually do some ride-alongs like with the police and the the paramedics. They'll spend some time with the community paramedics that are out in the field. um, And they'll get to know different services that are just, that will that they'll be working with for the next couple of years. And then after that, they all jump into um, inpatient medicine. And um, so um, they'll be on the, they've already been on the wards up uh, um, at OMC some, but they'll be much more full time on the wards for the next um, six months or so, (laughs) actually, it turns out. They'll end up spending a couple months with general surgery. They'll spend time with the hospitalists as well as the known attendings. They'll be when we're on call, um, who, um, we work, you know, up on OB. Um, but it's a lot of uh, the bread and butter of uh, inpatient. And then on top of that, they'll be doing at least two days a week in clinic. And so they all have patients in clinic. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. A, it's a bit busy. What do I tell them? That they're going to be on call once a week and one weekend a month and, um, and two days a week of, of full clinic and yeah it's kind of like what we do it's, it's, the, it's the real deal right <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah full spectrum <laughs> as you guys pointed out you do get the full spectrum right including being on call uh for the for the community out there rob how, how does this help with some of the you know crisis if you will that we have here with just access to health care i mean well i mean i think it's, it's kind of a, it's a two-pronged affair so um they are seeing patients that I mean, they a fair number of the patients they see are what we call you know they're new patients to known. They're people. Some of them haven't had doctors right. for a long time. A lot of them have been in the hospital, and now we're seeing them as um, for follow up, and they become their regular patients. They're seeing new OBs. Some of them with any number of a variety of conditions that you know they're managing. Again, you know, being supervised by all of us, but at the same time, really doing it. Um, and then you know. And they're, you know, they're part of that primary care network um, that exists out here on the peninsula. Um, and then our hope is, is that some of them will stay. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we've had uh, 
a couple of our residents that actually um, were sitting here on the radio station yeah. a few years ago, <laughs> and now are our regular doctors at Known, Dr. Poole and Dr. Nelson. And so, um, you know, I know that some will stay and some will go on and do other important things. And I think when I started the program, I, I, I wanted everybody to stay, but I've come to realize that, I mean, the training they get here are is really quite good, and they're going out and if they aren't staying here, they're they're doing some really good work other places. And so, um, I just uh, I, I think we're helping further primary care in, in small communities. Well, and that is a problem in all rural communities, not just here. It's yeah. uh, not just unique to Port Angeles and Squibb, certainly. So, all right. Well, I. I Hopefully we'll see these guys again as uh, we get through the next couple of years. Thanks for coming in. Rob, great to have you as well. Thank you. We're going to take a break. We'll come back, and we're going to talk with the uh, Clownlam County Sheriff Bill Benedict right after this. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. All right. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Rob Epstein for uh, coming in. He's helping coordinate with uh, known their rural residency program. And uh, thanks to new doctors, Abby Ahoyong, uh, Michaela Fallon, and Lisa Scarling for coming in to talk a bit about their uh, choice to come here to do their last two years of residency uh, here in this rural area and just how that does fit in with uh, what's going on here in our area and how it's helping with the local health care issues. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio K. ONP. Talking with Clallam County Sheriff Bill Benedict. Uh, I jokingly said short-timer Bill Benedict because he's got about five and a half months left as the sheriff and then he's retiring. We'll get to that in in just a bit. Sure. Uh, Bill, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Thank you, Todd. Good to be here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I think right out of the gate, some some crime statistics uh, just out from uh, WASPIC. Are these WASPIC WASPIC numbers? Okay. And uh, I know you wanted to share a little bit of maybe some anecdotal things you can't really comment on all of the statewide stuff because it's not been officially released but you certainly can talk about what's been happening here yes yes uh i can talk numbers for uh what we submitted in clallam county including squim and port angeles but um the numbers from uh the the uh, larger counties king county pierce county seattle i can just make this mention is, is that their violent crime rate and homicide rate is exploding it mm-hmm. is it's it started two years ago and um depending on your political persuasion it's either because of COVID or it's because of some of the uh, some of the poor legislation that was passed um in the last two years but uh on to ours uh these it's it's called the uh, NIBRS system which is the national incident based reporting system and that uh replaced the ucr about 10 years ago and uh, the the all of our crime statistics are submitted daily uh, to the FBI uh, national database, and they're um, they're mostly tracking and looking for trends. So, on a percentage basis, uh, within Clallam County, um, the the county which is the largest 
uh, population, the unincorporated county, followed by Port Angeles and, the, and Squim. Um, uh, both of us showed uh, about a 20% reduction in what are called Part A crimes, which are felonies. 20% uh, for us, 10% for Port Angeles, and this was a little surprising, 12% increase in the city of Squim. Okay. Now, these things go up and down. In terms of total numbers, um, what that showed is, is that we had 1,481 reported in 2020, and 2020. Uh, one, we had uh, 1,200, 1,212. So that's almost a 20% mm -hmm. reduction. Uh, noteworthy is, is, is that these are considered serious crimes. They're not misdemeanors. They're felonies. Uh, we, we saw a uh, reduction in burglaries. That was a 15% redu uh, reduction. 20% uh, uh, reduction in theft and larceny. Um, let's see, a 20% uh, reduction in arson, although that's not that big a deal, because um, we, we went from five to four. But usually, I mean, some Small of these you numbers. have to say that, when, yeah, like when we start. But there are some yeah. large numbers. And then for, for Port Angeles, uh, I won't go over their numbers, but very similar. Uh, Port Angeles uh, had uh, 1,739 uh, Part A crimes in 2020, and they are down to 1,569 in 2023. So when you when you take those numbers and then you normalize them on a per capita basis, you come up with a, a crimes per thousand. And for the unincorporated or county, uh, we come in at a rate of 26.4 for this last year. And we were, I think, 27-something the year before. So that's uh, 20, uh, 26 crimes per 100,000 population. Um, no, I'm sorry, 26 uh, crimes per 1,000 okay, per thousand right. population. Uh, Port Angeles is 78, which is quite a bit higher. And Squims is uh, 64. And let me explain that. That does not mean that it's more lawless in the unincorporated county than the cities. It's that uh, even though the majority of people reside in the unincorporated county, uh, they spend their time in the cities. So it's like that old Willie Sutton uh, statement, uh, why do you rob banks? And his answer was, well, that's where the money is. That's right. <laughs> and that's the same thing with, with right. crime. Crime is going to happen where there's uh, aggregation of people, money, and things to take. Uh, all in all, statewide, we're, we're a, a pretty darn safe county. Um, our rural numbers are among the, the lowest in the, in the state, and our cities are, are pretty typical for cities mm -hmm. that size. Uh, there is one exception uh, to the downward trend, and that is motor vehicle thefts. Right. And no, motor vehicle thefts going back three years, actually, have uh, gone up first gradually, then significantly, and now exponentially. Uh, here's the numbers. In 2021, um, there was 113 motor vehicle thefts in the city of Port Angeles, the city of Squim, and the unincorporated county. As of the 1st of July, we've had 98. Wow. So, so basically 100. We're on pace to double the yeah, what was auto last thefts year? Uh, from this year to last what, year. What is, uh, pardon the pun, driving that? I mean, is it, uh, <laughs> is there, is it just that's the, uh, the choice now is to go for cars? 
Uh, I don't know. I, there has to be some some component. Sometimes there are demographics. Sometimes there are cultural shifts that we we see, uh, and and it's several years before the explanation. Um, one of the explanations, though, is, is is that the legislature almost three years ago passed the no pursuit law. And the result is uh, everyone from the Highway Patrol on to us, we cannot pursue stolen cars. Right. And that, that has emboldened everyone. And uh, uh, honestly, in some areas, I think it's a rite of passage. In another area, because they know they're not going to be pursued, people are steer- stealing cars to commit other more serious crimes. In fact, you remember that coastal burglary from right. that two or three weeks ago? Right. Uh, they did that in two stolen cars, and they abandoned the cars. Um, just as a little segue, they weren't the brightest tools in the shed. Uh, but they they found a scheme that was working. They were uh, smash and grabbing uh, coastals throughout the state. You know, coastal is a chain, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, they were so successful. Mostly, they were stealing tools, uh, clothes, and other stuff. They said, "Well, let's up our game. Let's steal guns." <laughs> so that they they went and they got I don't know twenty or thirty, mostly long guns. Um, Two out of the three are in custody. The third will be in custody soon. And whereas if they'd have confined it to the durable goods, they might be, you know, for the the first offense, probably no jail time. But since they decided to steal guns and ammunition. Yeah, it's a whole other thing now. Probably <laughs> 10 years in the slammer each. Yeah, yeah. Well, no one has ever said a criminal is really a smart cookie. So. Well, that's true, and it's, you know, it's uh, not to sound too cynical, but it's job security for us. You know, just to roll back a bit on on the pursuit uh, issue, you know, before that legislation came, was it common for you know deputies to you know go after say I'm just you know hypothetically somebody sees their car being stolen, they call nine one one, off it goes. You've got a deputy comes along and well, there's that stolen car, and then they pursue it. Was that a common thing? I. I well, the the let me put it this way: is is that very few of the stolen cars resulted in a pursuit, uh, or if it was a pursuit, it wasn't very long or far. Okay. Uh, that the that for, for one thing, back then the criminals realized that the crime of pursuit, and they also realized this: the the state patrol had a policy until this legislation that they will chase people to the ends of the earth. You will not escape the state patrol. Now you can, mm-hmm. and People like to flaunt it, and and so they do. Uh, but in, like I say, in the old days, uh, we might for a stolen car, we might have one full blown pursuit a year, and okay. the rest of them, you see the plates are stolen, you pull it over, uh, and uh, most of them will express profound ignorance as to the mm-hmm. fact that this car is stolen. What this car is but, stolen? But they yeah. will go for stealing a car now, knowing that that oh, yeah. once a year pursuit. Won't happen even. Uh, just, yeah, yeah, that that won't right. happen. Right. And surprisingly, we're we're finding that a lot of uh, vehicles are are being stolen from folks that are coming here out of county, and they're winding up being abandoned in Kitsap, Pierce, and King County. Interesting. Uh, you know, I remember the days of the steal the car, take it to the chop shop sort of thing. Is that still a, a viable no. industry or, or not? Well, I'm sure it is. Catalytic converters is yeah, viable. Yeah. Uh, but no, most of, of, of our stolen cars are actually being recovered, uh, usually in some 
state of disarray. I mean, they've mm-hmm. crashed them, um, and, and but not that much that they're being stripped and and okay. you know, disappearing. Yeah. So that doesn't explain another reason. It sounds like a lot of it is, as you just mentioned, to do other things with. It's yeah. Uh, there's there's just a and and frankly, I think that that legislation, as well intended as people thought it was, it has really emboldened uh, mm-hmm. folks. I mean. It's there, and and there, there's kind of out on the street. There's this adversarial thing uh, about police, where where kids are, particularly in the in the, the the cities, are treating police with contempt. They're viewing them as the enemy, as occupiers or whatnot, and you know nothing good is going to come of that. Right. Uh, Misdemeanor? I don't, are you tracking misdemeanors on yes, this yes. as well? I, because a yeah. lot of people may say, "Well, then things are just happening as misdemeanors and not felonies." Is that a, a true statement or not? Uh, well, I can tell you from twenty uh, twenty one. I got to get. I've got these in front of me to twenty twenty. That we don't uh, track them on the form that way. But here it is. Um, we we're slightly up. We're up maybe six percent on the. We're we're up seven out of a hundred um, uh, of the group B arrests. Now, these are these are actually arrests, and I would have to look in terms of. Oh, I'd have to get back on you to yep. analyze the okay. data. I'm not sure as to in terms of of how many misdemeanor crimes were reported. Got it. On those, uh, the first bit, the uh, the A crimes, or those reports, right? Yes, not, yes. not just arrests, correct? Yeah. Oh, they're reports and arrests, but I can also give you the number of arrests. So um, uh, for the county, uh, we had 1,200 reports. We had 405 arrests out of those incidents. Yep. So uh, the fact is, is that a lot of times a crime will have multiple suspects, but I can tell you that we have, uh, for for most property crime, we have a clearance rate uh, in excess of 50%. And, of course, for our violent crimes, it's close to 100%. Uh, here's a little segue. Um, we, uh, it has been several years, maybe 10 or 12 years, since we've had an unsolved homicide. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. We do have some missing people who may well be the victims of foul play, but since we don't have a body, we can't conclusively mm-hmm. say what caused their demise. But uh, nationally, uh, clearance rates for homicides in our country have dipped below 50%. Wow. That, I, that's, I think, surprising for a lot of folks to, to hear. It is really surprising, but it is also reflective um, uh, something that people should be aware of is, is is that fully a third of all of our homicides in this country, and there's about 13,000 a year, are gang-related. Mm. And the, the gang-related homicides, uh, for example, in the city of Chicago, they have a clearance rate of under 10%. And that's because nobody seems to want to talk uh, they're they're yeah. very much into defensive policing the, the the police get virtually no support so uh but anyway it it's you'll be happy to know that in our county uh, our solve rates for for another one for example is burglaries we're over 50 percent uh solve rate on our burglaries and nationally that's under 20 percent you know, a lot of people, perception is 100% a reality to whoever is. is perceiving it. So I'm sure you get this. I mean, those numbers sound good, but some people say, bah, it feels to me like crime's up. How do you respond to that? Is that, you know, is there something else going on? Well, 
I would I would have to discuss it. You know, I'd have to hear what people are saying. But mm-hmm. not many people in the in the county that I talk to sense that our crime rate is going up. Other than those that are in the know, uh, understand where the automobiles. But everything else, it's down. Um, there's uh, there's some quality of life issues uh, that that people talk about and. Uh, certainly our homeless folks are a lot more visible than they used to be. And they're, they're, uh, it, it's not as bad as some people would like to think. But there is, uh, usually misdemeanor, but there is a lot of crime associated with homeless uh, encampments and homeless mm-hmm. uh, in, in our cities. Uh, we don't have much of a homeless problem in the county. Just, once again, it's a Willie Sutton thing. People don't want right. to be homeless out in the middle of nowhere. All right, uh, let's take a break. When okay. we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the jail and a little bit about your retirement pending. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this big smile goes on his face at that point. Uh, sure, Bill Benedict, longtime sheriff here in Clallam County, uh, my guest in the first segment today. We'll be back with more with him after this. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. Uh, one last thing, let's talk a bit. Uh, we'll have you on many more times before this happens, but your retirement at the end of this year is, uh, is eminent, as I jokingly said, about five and a half months, not that it you're is. counting. But... Well, that light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter and brighter. Uh, this is my fourth and final term, and I will serve it out to the last day. So I expect to have some kind of a retirement party, probably the 1st of January, 2nd okay. or whatever. And uh, when I do re- retire, the a wife and I are going to hop into our motorhome, and we're going to Key West. I may need to take out a loan <laughs> for the for the gas, but we've been wanting to do this for years, uh, and we're going to probably take two or three months. To, I was going to say you finally will have enough time to actually do that, right? Right. Yeah, right. So, and, and uh, I'm going to probably hang out at the airport and be an airport bum. Um, uh, I might even go back to being a commercial pilot. Might even do some flying oh. for for. Uh, I won't fly for Dash. Uh, they don't pay enough, but there's some other charter charter type things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I could do. So yeah, that that it's it's coming up, and as everyone knows, uh, it's a contested election. Uh, my chief criminal deputy Brian King is running, and uh, if anyone doesn't know, I am uh, endorsing him for that. He has been um, essentially under training for this job for the last four years. He's a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He's number three. Uh, in the command structure, I'm, I'm very impressed with his maturity and his judgment. And uh, he's running against a former deputy of ours who now works for the uh, uh, Port Townsend Police Department. A, a good enough person, but uh, I don't think ha- has nearly the experience or the leadership ability that Brian does. But uh, uh, I'm kind of you know watching the election i think i'm more nervous uh, about this you know when i was running myself but uh, uh, it's been an awesome run 16 years and i'll i'll just say this a little bit uh, to blow my own horn uh, i did the research i'm the longest serving sheriff in the history of clallam county i was going to say you have to be close if not the the well longest, joe yeah. hall 
was elected for a fourth term. However, he uh, resigned a year into his That's fourth right. term. Well, I say he resigned. He had enough uh, time in to, to retire. He yeah. he opted for retirement, and that's kind of what led to me getting elected. Yep. Bill, great to have you in. Thanks Thank for you. Uh, sharing some of those numbers. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP.